I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. Brother Howard, Talking we have... Talking Points Lesson 13. That's right. We have arrived. The, yeah. This is well, Let Brotherly Love... It's nice to say we've arrived. It's maybe not we personally arrived <laughs> at all things, but we've arrived at the end of this quarter's lesson. We have. The whole thing is about the message of Hebrews, and the title for this week's study is Let Brotherly Love Continue. And if one were to decide that they were going to take the challenge we've issued before to start memorizing this the memory week, verse, this would be the this ideal is the week. week. Yes, to do it. You want me to do it? Go ahead. Okay. I'll look right in the camera. Let brotherly <laughs> love continue. Hebrews 13 1. Oh. Beautiful. Just rolls right off the tongue. It's so easy. Now, there are people you've talked about who just read the memory for text. At least yes. they're reading it at all. But if you want to start a turn over a new leaf, uh, this is a great week to practice on. That's right. <laughs> Super easy. Now, this lesson 13 actually covers chapter 13 of Hebrews. Now, interestingly, we did not, throughout this course, do chapter-by-chapter chapter study of Hebrews, even though there were 13 chapters in 13 weeks. But this one all does a Apply in this one yeah. chapter here. And in contrast to the previous chapters that talked about some of the deeper theological tomes of, of Christ's ministry in the sanctuary and Old Testament parallels and prophecies and whatnot, here we have very practical application for Christian living. So it's a very mm -hmm. straightforward lesson and um, basic ideas, but they're important as we're living in the day of the judgment now. Yes. So well, we're going to we... look at three talking points, but before we do, we need to pray. Yep. Could you lead us, please? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are uh, thankful for the book of Hebrews, the message you have to us in this book, especially for the times we're living in, Lord, pointing us to the work of Jesus as our heavenly high priest. And I pray that you would bless those uh, teachers who are uh, tuning into Talking Points, that you would bless their teaching, their classes, their understanding, uh, be with their words and guide them in their speech, Lord that what they speak, what they teach, would be a blessing to those who hear. That, Lord, may we, we may all seek a continually deeper experience with Jesus and help others to be ready for his soon return. We ask mm -hmm. and pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. We have three talking points drawn from the study of Hebrews 13 this week. All right. The first one is, genuine Christianity is communal. We're taking that from Sabbath and Sunday's uh, lessons, but the idea of a Christian hermit is not found in Scripture. We're part of the body of Christ. We're going to see what that means in the first one. An extension of that is found in number, talking point number two, where selfishness is antithetical to Christianity. Anyway, that pretty much speaks for itself, and yes. we'll look into that too. And finally, talking point number... Oh, that one comes from Monday's lesson. Talking point number three, we should respect church teachers and teachings. Hmm. And that is Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Yes. I thought there was a great point to draw out there. In fact, they're all good points, but <clears throat> let's go back to that first one. Genuine Christianity is communal. Communal, i.e. What does that it, mean? Yeah. It, it, Corporate. It works in the context of a community That's right. of believers. In fact, why don't you read for us the first three verses of Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. 
Now, I think it's interesting that it doesn't just say let love continue as though it could be a love for you and Jesus, which of course you have between you and right. Jesus, but it's brotherly love continue. And it's in the context of the body of Christ, the church here on earth. And then talks about strangers and prison ministry. The common theme is this communal perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the contributor of the lesson put it this way in Sabbath afternoon, paragraph one. The author does not conceive of the audience only as a group of individuals who work out their own salvation in a one-on-one relationship with Jesus, but as a family or household saved together. Now, that's not a new idea in theology. Like, we're not individually saved. We're saved as a group. Of course, salvation is individual, but it's in the context of the body of Christ, which is the church family. Well, we've made this point before regarding the Sabbath. You know, the Bible said that Sabbath, the Sabbath was supposed to be a holy convocation or gathering. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I've always met with the members who, and I'm not saying it's it's ever, uh, it's always wrong to go out and spend a Sabbath by yourself somewhere. But there's the person who says, I don't go to church. I just go out in nature somewhere. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not Sabbath keeping as a rule because it's a community. But it's interesting that Paul's not just addressing Sabbath. Mm. Like, you're supposed to be a community through the week. Yeah, it's a lifestyle. And and when you think about that, and many of our churches today, there really isn't that sense of community outside of Sabbath. Mm. Well, in fact, this is just just an idea. It's just hitting me, so it's got to be good, right? In Hebrews (laughs) chapter 10, right? Remember... uh, the quintessential attendance yes. passage, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Mm-hmm. So repeatedly in Hebrews, there's this appeal to not just look to Jesus individually, as we of course do, but to then extend that ministry to others in the body. Yes. So I think it's fascinating. And uh, the first example of this is in chapter 13, verse two, uh, 2, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. This is an appeal to hospitality. Yes. And um, throughout Paul's writing, he reminds people to be hospitable. Uh, Romans chapter 12, he talks about that. First Timothy 3. In fact, do you have First Timothy 3? Yes. I want you to read verse 2. First uh, Timothy 3 is in the context of a, of a bishop or an elder. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, mm. able to teach. And he continues out on with that. But Same thing in Romans chapter 12, where he says in verses 12 and 13, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. There's this idea that part of the de facto Christian experience is going to be considering, helping, ministering, blessing others. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, you see it in Titus, you see it in Timothy, if you're going to be in a leadership position in a church, that hospitality has to be part of your DNA spiritually. That's right. Well, and, it's interesting to me as you read that, Romans chapter 12 um, is in the context of spiritual gifts, mm-hmm. but he doesn't present in that context the given to hospitality uh, as a specific spiritual gift. Uh, he does in other places, but my point right. is, my point is, there's a mindset that seems to, and you've run, I'm sure you've run into this as a pastor, I've run into this as a pastor, that hospitality, because it's listed as a spiritual gift, it's something that some people don't have. Like, for example, I, you know, being nice isn't a gift of mine. I'm cranky <laughs> all the time. And that, as, if, as if I'm not expected, as a Christian, to be hospitable, 
and it would seem that despite the fact that some, and I've met those who have that gift of hospitality, and they're just super... They excel always at it, un- yeah. But, but that doesn't exclude the rest of us, Amen. if we name the name of Christ, to be hospitable. Well, and that's the same way with a lot of spiritual gifts. You think of administration. Well, some people might really, really be good at that. That doesn't mean your personal life has to be disorganized if you don't have it. The right. same inhospitable versus hospitable. And interestingly, the, the quintessential example that's recited here or referred to in Hebrews chapter 13, for some have unwittingly entertained angels, seems to be a strong reference back to Genesis 18 with Abraham, mm-hmm. right? He didn't know they were angels. He didn't know that they were on a mission right. from God. That they're, spe- you know, I think, of, and he just opened up the home and, and killed the fatted calf and welcomed them in. And I'm reminded of Christ's uh, reminder in Matthew chapter 25 that the the difference between the sheep and the goats is how you treated Jesus when you didn't know who he was. Yes, and and the the. The redeemed are going to say, when did we see you? We were just being kind and helpful. He's like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. And that's that's a subject of the yeah, kingdom. Excellent point. Yeah. So anyway, this hospitality. So it's interesting. That first, that first part is, you know, we think hospitality, and we think of when people come around us mm-hmm. to be hospitable. We'll welcome them in. Yeah. But then he goes into this idea of the prisoners. Exactly. And he says, so uh, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. So there's some people who can come to you and might Mm -hmm. visit your church or might come to your family and you can welcome them in your home. There's other people who are stuck by circumstance, and particularly here he's talking about prison, which I have to imagine in the first century, prison ministry wasn't just for people who have been convicted of civil crimes like Mm -hmm. they would in these days. There were people who were chained for the gospel in those days who hadn't done anything wrong, and they were part of the household of faith. And, of course, wrongdoers, too, need a visit. Well, even in the context of the book of Hebrews, Paul has addressed how some of them have been in prison. Exactly. So if people can't come to you, that doesn't end your hospitality. You should go seek them out. And we've heard of that as prison ministry. One of the logical, by the way, extensions of that I would see applicable in our churches today would be shut-in ministry for people Mm -hmm. who are sick or age or infirm or in hospital or whatever. that there are people who are bound by circumstance who especially need that connection with the body of Christ. And if we were to be negligent of their needs in that time, that's a strike on our I would. I mean, I would strongly encourage that. And in fact, I would encourage my classes mm. with, in the context of this. I think Seventh-day Adventists ought to, and, and we talked about this before, like this used to kind of be the thing. Yeah. Like at, at Sabbath afternoon, Adventists yes. would go and visit those people who didn't make it to church that day, would go and visit interests that they were going to We were always visit, inviting people home or going out to visit and, someone else. And, yeah. and I, you know, I've got Adventists, like, yeah, but our family likes to take a walk in, in, in over here and we like to go over here. You could still do <laughs> just about every, yeah, I actually like to take a nap on Sabbath, but you could still do all that yeah. and go out and make a visit. And what now. would happen if all of our members, or even half of the members, took Sabbath mm. afternoon to go out and visit somebody who didn't make it to church that Sabbath, mm. or somebody's been shut in or whatever else, yeah. it would be a blessing to not only the person that they're visiting, mm-hmm. but the person doing the visiting. Amen. So, well, and, it, and I think that's at least part of why Paul's <laughs> admonishing us. In our local church, we make sure that our Sabbath school projects for our children aren't mm. just little crafts that they get to home and color and then throw away eventually. We make cards and send them to those people who aren't in attendance that day, people who might be shut in or sick or the yes. elderly in our church. And looking for the, imagine if every, if every individual had the mindset of hospitality, every class had the outreach um, DNA and, and a project going on, if your church could be known 
for its literal reaching out and not just outreach as an right. event occasionally, but it's a, it's a culture of it. That's what Paul seems to be talking about here. Well, this may be a, sound like a crazy idea. I think we can forward it as directors in the Sabbath school department that those little projects aren't just for the kids. Mm-hmm. Their adult Sabbath school classes could meet during the week even. Come on now. <laughs> and have adopt some person or community or something and have a project where they minister to others. Mm. Uh, they could do it Sabbath afternoons, but like I said, they could do it during the week. Sometimes the kids have all the fun in Sabbath school class. <laughs> so true. So true. You know, that reminds me, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 in just a minute. In fact, we'll segue Let's segue to that now, but I want to bring up something that ties these two together. Talking point number two is that selfishness is antithetical to Christianity. You Mm -hmm. can't be a self-focused Christian. That's an oxymoron, right? Yeah. And selflessness was actually the evidence of genuine conversion from the very outset of the Christian movement. And that's where I bring in Acts chapter 2. In verses um, 44 and 45, we read about the response of those who were convicted Mm -hmm. and converted and baptized that day. It said, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now the point that I wanted to break and tie these two together is actually in verse 46 where it says, So continuing... And it doesn't say weekly with one accord in the temple. It says daily. That's right. They viewed the church life as central in their own existence. Not just we've added this to my other six days. Now I've got a seventh day Mm. activity. It now is the central feature, the heartbeat of the church. So they're there. It, the true religion gets into your your pocketbook. It gets into your schedule. It it gets other people focusing. Like tonight, I'm going to be going to a board meeting at our local church. Last night, I was there for a prayer meeting. This last Sunday, we're there for an outreach thing. This Sabbath, we'll be worshiping. The church isn't just a weekly experience. That's it's right. supposed to be part of the daily life. Anyway, why don't you read about that early church experience from Acts of Apostles 547. It's right there in the yep. notes. Yep. After the descent of the Holy Spirit, believers rejoiced in the sweetness of communion with saints. They were tender, thoughtful self-denying, willing to make any sacrifice for the truth's sake. In their daily association with one another, daily again, Mm -hmm. they revealed the love that Christ had enjoined upon them. By unselfish words and deeds, they strove to kindle this love in other hearts. Mm. And I'm reminded in this context of a sermon you preach about elbows in heaven. Yeah. Yeah, the idea is we don't need elbows in heaven, and it's the pictures painted of you know the the difference between heaven and hell is yeah. they they look exactly the same. The big table, everybody gather around, lots of beautiful food, mm-hmm. but in the heaven picture, everybody's just fat and happy and enjoying themselves, and the in the in the hell picture, everybody's all emaciated and frail and weak and sick. Mm-hmm. Right. And the difference is they each have this common problem. They can't bend at the elbow. They they just have stiff yes. arms. I've seen mm-hmm. all the illustration is they've got these really long spoons. And they can't, they can't figure out how to get them back to their mouth. What do you do? Well, it's funny. Yeah, so you get this posing. You're posing this question, and you keep, you've got no elbows. And what's funny is when it's posed in the sermon, because of the way our minds run in such a selfish, it's like, man, how would I feed myself? I, you, yeah, know, you toss I, it up I, there. <laughs> yeah, are you going to? And, and here, you hear people come up with these, uh, yeah, you'd have to toss it up. No. The answer is you would feed each other. Yeah. And obviously we have elbows in heaven. But the point is, yeah. we are so, it, it's this, 
it can become this huge puzzle. Ask the people in your class the question. It's like, hmm, how would I do that? And the obvious answer, like, look, I just will feed each other. I'd feed and you and you'd feed me and we'd be fine. It's not obvious because of the selfishness in our nature. So it's just kind mm. of an well, interesting illustration. Well, and continuing this thread in a, a kind of an odd transition in verse 4. Yes. Um, right after we talk about entertaining strangers and prisoners, then it says in verse 4, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed right. undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And then he talks about verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. So he moves from hospitality and prison ministry to uh, warnings against Im- sexual immorality, adultery, mm-hmm. and greed or covetousness. Mm-hmm. Now, that's an interesting thing, but and th- and Quarterly Monday, paragraph 1, it says, Paul warns the readers against sexual immorality and greed because they are two grave threats to brotherly love. So yeah, there right. is a, there is a tie here. There's a thread of continuity. The self-indulgence will destroy yes, brotherly will. love. It's a self-love. And, and, I, and I thought to myself as we were reviewing this beforehand that um, how many communities, and, and again, and, and maybe this is, I don't think this is exclusive to pastors, but we've seen it even among the body of faith, how many communities have been destroyed by sexual immorality? Mm. How many churches and church families and what have you? Entire have societies, if you right. will. Yeah. And so, I mean, who's going to argue? Who can argue with Paul's admonition here? Right. But it, you, you see that net effect on uh, it. It that selfishness breeds selfishness. It does not breed love for others. Well, and I think that's interesting because the first two hospitality. And mm-hmm. prison ministry are an appeal to selflessness. And here, the next two are warnings against selfishness, right? So it's a positive and a negative, but all around the same idea of selfish versus selfless. That's right. And how adultery, of course, is selfish. It's a self-gratification. It's robbing the other person of experience. It might be breaking up another home. It's, it's problematic. It deforms well, the character. And I think it's important even to note that there's a... How do I want to say this? There's a level of that pleasure that God certainly allows. Marriage is honorable. The bed yes. is undefiled. So, in other words, in, in another place, Paul played out, flat out says, I think 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that if you burn in lust for, you know, then marry. Get married. Yeah. And, 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 and that there's context, a context for it. Yeah. Right. There's a context for it. God provides for that. Yes. Why go outside of that context? There's no need to go outside mm-hmm. of that context. So it's not like, God, you know, the, the apostle or God himself is saying, uh, you know, don't have this part of your life right. engaged. It's I, only in the context. Yeah, That's right. Well, and the same thing is true because you're like, what is the tie between adultery and covetousness? Well, actually, they're very almost, you know, uh, almost two branches of the same tree, if you yes. will. First of all, I, I'd like to note they're both commandments. They're, they're appeals to the commandments of that's God. Right. So clearly, we're living the day of judgment when living according to the commandments. That's going to be the basis of judgment. So let's be clear about that. And the apostle that so many say did away with the commandments right. is very clear that Pretty down the line there are some important commandments. Well, in also, fact, he's touched on the Sabbath in here. He's touched uh-huh. on covetousness. He's talked about... I have a feeling if you went through Hebrews, you could find some glancing yes. blow on every commandment. So he's not against the commandments. But covetousness is related to sexual immorality and adultery in this in the very nature very fact of what you were saying it's it's a um it's a self-gratification type of uh deformity right in fact in first corinthians first uh, timothy six ten, he refers to the love of money not money itself but the love of money is the root of all evil that from this position of wanting for myself is the 
is the sea. It's it's like cutting Samson's hair, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's it's the it's the it's undermining everything about Christianity. Now, I put in the notes that a key biblical, and this was also found in the the lesson touches on this, and I appreciate it. A key biblical principle that helps fight against temptation to adultery and covetous is contentment, mm-hmm. born of faith in God's provision for our best interest. You yes, mentioned in the right. marriage analogy. You have a context, you have a spouse, you have a, right. a format for this, so why would you go beyond what you, why not be happy with what you have? Same thing with covetous is greed. Why would you want more if your daily needs are cared for? Repeatedly. Mm-hmm. You can look these up. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Hebrews 13 verse 5. Here in the passage, Paul is talking about when it comes to covetousness, greed, that always wanting for more Mm -hmm. beyond what you have, his remedy is contentment. And it seems like such a simple thing, but realize God's going to give you all you need. There's a marriage context. He's going to pay for, you think of Christ in the, in the, um, the Sermon on the Mount. Why are you worried about tomorrow? We've got everything you need for today. The Lord will take care of you. It really is a manifestation of lack of faith in God when we start pursuing for ourselves things we think we want and need when yeah. he's given us all that we need. It makes need. me think of a, of a pra- practice, not the right word, but there's a phrase in the drug world called chasing the dragon. And, mm. and it's referring to chasing the first high. Mm. Because when a person first has a drug, it impacts. it's the first time it ever impacted your system. You will never have a high like that again from that. Mm. drug. And what a lot of people do when they just single out pleasure as the one thing is that they go through life pursuing, whether it be the relationship or money, whatever else, uh, outside marriage, they're seeking something that they're never really going to get. Right? It it doesn't ever satisfy. Mm -hmm. You know, and and maybe it's the fleeting pleasures of sin the Bible talks about. Mm -hmm. Also in Hebrews 11, it talks about Abraham or uh, Moses, rather, yeah, to enjoy the, yeah. the the passing pleasures of the fleet, these temporary pleasures of sin, and it's the same thing. It, it's interesting that the, the pursuit of those things will never you'll never achieve it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the contentment is accepting that God knows what's best, and when you do that, yeah. you find that that's the reality. Well, it seems like you've heard the phrase it's, "grass is always greener on the other side of the fence." Mm-hmm. Like God has put the fence of the commandments up, and if we live within that, we can think that things look better over there. The reality is, there's plenty right here. We're fine. That's right. I think of this, uh, it's not in the lesson, but I put it in the notes because I really like this quote. It's from Message to Young People, page 181. Mm-hmm. This is White writes, Those who are drinking at the fountain of life will not, like the worldling, manifest a longing desire for change and pleasure. Always wanting more, always wanting different, mm. right? In their deportment and character will be seen the rest and peace and happiness that they have found in Jesus by daily laying their perplexities and burdens at his feet. They will show that in the path of obedience and duty, there is contentment and even joy. That not only be like, fine, I'll get by with what we've got, <laughs> that it's actually the best thing for me and it's the highest pleasure that I can have is obedience to God and trusting in him. Well, and, and it's interesting to me, she uses that word duty. Duty is such a, oh, <laughs> it's, you know, this heart. It's a burden uh, word. It's a responsibility <laughs> thing I have to do. But you'll find contentment and even joy when you follow the Lord. Beautiful. And absolutely. So. We need to move on. Talking point number three. One of the final appeals in the book of Hebrews, interestingly enough, is that we should respect teachers and uh, church Church teachers. Church teachers and teachings. Yes. This is interesting because 
the Apostle Paul, like in Romans 13, he talks about respecting those leaders over us in civil yes. matters. But here, very clearly in the context, he's talking about religious leaders, you know, pastors and church administrators and, and spiritual other spiritual leaders. Right. And in fact, let me just read verses 7 through, through 9 to give us the context yeah. here. He writes, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So he's talking first about the teachers yes, and then the teachings, right? And in the lesson, it brings out this little helpful thought in Tuesday, paragraph two. For Paul, the greatest act of remembrance and praise is emulation. So how do you remember those teachers and the teachings? Well, you follow their example and put the teachings into practice. You yes. apply it in the life. And I love how in the middle of that exhortation to honor the teachers and don't be carried away, there's in verse 8 how Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the teachings that the teachers gave are based on Jesus Christ, who he himself does not change. Therefore, we don't have to be tossed to and fro, as he would say, mm-hmm. by, by every wind of doctrine, that we can have this so established Jesus faith. So Jesus is the same. Mm-hmm. And maybe we should draw a distinction between the same and sameness. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, there's some people that are afraid that, well, if, if I always am doing the same thing, and if I'm content, then it will just degenerate into this... Oh, just this, a rote form, yes. mindless and, yeah, and exercise. And because things are the same doesn't mean they're not continually... Fresh and vibrant. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's um, interesting. It's interesting also that, again, in verse 17, the apostle says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Mm. And I have to say... As a pastor, I guess I can say this in this context. It's You can't say this to, to your church when you're pastoring a church because then people think you're just saying, I want to be, you know, I want everybody to obey me, you know. Yeah, it's a tough passage to but, preach. But there is a, there in this generation, there is a very, there's been a very, very big shift in the respect people show the pastoral role. Mm. And, and unless you're a pastor, you don't always get that what the apostles like, you know what he means here. These are the ones who watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Mm. And a lot of people don't realize that the other members in the church aren't going to have to give an account for your choices. But I will as a pastor. Mercy. You will as a pastor. Mm. And because of that, as pastors, we make certain decisions. We preach certain things. And, and, and sometimes the members are, are put off. It's like, where does the pastor get off doing that? I'll tell you where he gets off doing it. The God put it on his heart to do that. He's the one that looks after souls as one who must give an account. Mm. And there's something in that that need, the Apostle Paul is trying to help. You know, pa- there are pastors who have, who have abused their authority. And we mm. don't make any light or excuse of that. But at the same time, uh, the role that your pastor is seeking to make sure you have a place in the kingdom of God and as such should be respected mm. for that. Yeah. And so just as the, obviously the pastor's fallible, but his example and his intent is honorable and should be respected. Yes. And the teachings are 
uh, infallible. They're based on Christ and he doesn't change. So both the teachings and the teachers are deserving of high honor in the church. We should remember that. You know, we're out of time, but I want to get to this final quote here in our conclusion. Uh, It's from Sons and Daughters of God, page 293, and you find it in Sabbath Afternoon's Ellen G. White Notes. She writes, All true children of God will reveal to the world their union with Christ and with their brethren. Those in whose hearts Christ abides will bear the fruit of brotherly love. They will realize that as members of God's family, they are pledged to cultivate, cherish, and perpetuate Christian love and fellowship in spirit, words, and actions. Mm. And honestly, as we get to the end of this book of Hebrews, it's hard to get a better end cap for that. So what do we do with all of this truth that we've learned? You put it into practice and by God's grace, become more like Jesus. Amen. Why don't you give us a word of prayer as we close? Heavenly Father, Father, I pray as we've come to the end of our study of the book of Hebrews that we would take to heart, especially chapter 13, with all its practical instruction. Uh, We may know everything there is to know about you and about Jesus and about your roles and about Jesus as our high priest and and the things that he's doing as our, our high priest, and yet, Lord, not reflect your character in our daily interaction with others. Mm. Hebrews 13 is speaking to us and appealing to us, all of us, those of us who are, Cameron and I here, those who are watching, those who will be studying this lesson here uh, coming up. This is an appeal to us to live out our Christianity before the world. And Lord, we know that we can't do that on our own, but by your grace, we can serve you acceptably. Father, help us to honor you in what we do, to fear God and give glory to him in this time of judgment. Uh, For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.